Welcome to Invest in Women, the podcast series, your insight into the growing wealth of women and the issues that impact their business and yours. See what happens when you educate, empower, and invest in women. Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the Invest in Women podcast series and to advocate on the industry's behalf to attract new, diverse talent. Schwab Advisor Services is passionate about supporting independent registered investment advisors with the insights and strategies needed to grow their business. Explore your path to independence at advisorservices.schwab.com. Aaron Botsford, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. We really appreciate your time. You know, my first thing is because you are somewhat of a pioneer in this business. How did you decide to actually go into it, especially as a woman? Well, that's kind of a funny question or a funny answer. And that is I, it took me 11 years and seven colleges to graduate from college. And because my husband was a military officer and we moved a lot. And so we got back from Germany in 1989 and I went into a stock brokerage firm looking for a job as a secretary because back then that's about all I could think of to do with my life. And so I had very little confidence, but I walked in and this man said, guess what? I'm gonna make you a stock broker. And I always tell people, I didn't know what a stock was. I didn't never heard of a bond, never heard of a mutual fund, but I'm like, okay. So that's how I got into the business. I just sort of fell into it. What a fantastic opportunity too. And a commentary on that company, right? For giving you that training where, you know, because you're not different from a lot of women even today. (laughs) They wouldn't know what to do with that. Well, I will say that it was kind of a different era when I remember coming back from my six weeks of training at home office and my the branch manager said he goes Aaron I'd really like to see your business plan well I thought I don't know what a business plan is and I thought it was interesting he had never asked any of the guys to see a business plan Mm. but I thought okay I went to the library and I looked up what's a business plan and I came up with one and I remember giving it to him and he goes Aaron I think this is probably one of the best business plans I've ever seen and the truth was, it was the only business plan he'd ever seen. <laughs> uh, right. Because <laughs> he didn't have to ask the others. No, I know. The guys didn't get asked that question back then. But what was so interesting was he came to me at then right after the business plan. He had some time to think about it. And believe it or not, he came to me and he said, Aaron, I hate to tell you this, but you are a recipe for disaster. And I was like, What? And he said, yeah, you're a recipe for disaster. I said, well, why would you say that? You hired me, you put me through training. And he goes, well, I just, I don't want you to be disappointed when you fail. This is never (gasps) going to work. I made a big mistake. And I said, well, why do you say that? He goes, well, you're young, you're a female in the South. And that's never going to (laughs) work. And you have to say, Melissa, that was kind of my first Scarlett O'Hara moment. And I looked at that man and I thought to myself, is God is my witness. I'm going to prove this man wrong. So I love it. Well, you didn't dig a carrot. You didn't dig a carrot out of the ground when you said it, but still, I mean, (laughs) for those gone with the wind experts. So when you talk about going into this job and you had a little confidence, you mentioned that. So I'm curious, not only this offensive comment and this challenge, but still how in the world Do you think you built that confidence? Where did that confidence come from to go from finding a secretarial position to ended up being very successful in this industry? You know, I've been asked that question a lot of times, and I think it's because I was raised in abject poverty. 
and I've bought everything I've ever owned since I was 11 years old. And so for me, failure was not an option. And I always told myself that failure was just not an option. And by hook or by crook, I was going to make it work. And I tell people the story. I, after a couple of years, I was just, I was feeling miserably. And the good news is my branch manager at the time was a different guy said, I think you need to go get some business coaching. And that made all the difference in the world to me. Mm-hmm. It, now, would you credit that for being that transition in your career? Is there, is there a pivot point in your career or did, like you said, yeah. just this grit that you had kept you propelling forward? No, there was a definite pivot point. And I like to tell that story. So I go, I enrolled in some business coaching and I just embraced it wholeheartedly, very diligent about it. And it was the third year, the 12th session and something happened that literally changed my life. And our coach said, now stand up and find somebody to share your results with over the past three years. And so I stood up, I looked around the room and I found this random guy standing there and I said, Hey, do you want to do the exercise together? He goes, yeah, let's do it. And I'm like, okay. Now I was so excited about my progress. I wanted to go first. And so I was like, Hey, I'm Aaron Botsford. I'm from Dallas, Texas. And I said, three years ago, I was doing around $300,000 in personal production. I go this year, I'm on target to do somewhere like 400 to 450. And I'm thinking to myself, like, woohoo, like, look at me. I was so happy with my progress. And then I tell people it was his turn. And he goes, Hey, his name was Paul. He said, you know, I'm from Virginia. And he said, three years ago, I was doing around 300,000 in production as well. And I thought to myself, well, look at that. We're just alike. And then Paul said the words, I will never forget. He said, this year, I'm on target to do 3 million in production. And he said, I've built a whole team around myself, my business. All I do is go out and bring in new prospects, turn those prospects into clients. I turn them over to my team. And then, of course, his voice started wandering off because I'm like, what? I said, you went from 300,000 to 3 million in three years? He said, yep. And you don't meet with all of your clients for their review? Nope. And then, of course, the bell rings. It's time to go back to our seats. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, did I miss a coaching session? I mean, did he go to a coaching program on Mars in addition to this one? I mean, I just couldn't (laughs) imagine anybody getting those kind of results. So it's time to go back to our seats. And I'm like, I'm stammering. I'm like, Paul, Paul, could could I just buy a few hours of your time? And he was so gracious. And he said, yeah, in fact, why don't you come spend the day with me and my team? So literally as fast as I could get back to Texas, I made my husband come with me. My husband was an airline pilot. And I remember thinking, well, I want Bob to come with me because I need Bob to understand when Paul says, well, in order to get that kind of success, you're going to have to divorce your husband, sell your firstborn child. And I just needed Bob to understand why this was going to have to happen, right? So literally, Melissa, I spent one day with this very successful guy. And interestingly enough, most of the time, I kept waiting for him to give me steps, steps. Now, what do I do next steps? But really, most we talked about the mindset of achievement and setting goals and thinking bigger and having a big enough why, why would I want to be uber successful, et cetera. Long story short, that one day was a game changer for me. And I remember going back, I had one part-time assistant. She was 20 years old. And I came back and I said to her, okay, here's the deal. I'm going to go out and bring a new business and uh, you're going to do everything else. And fortunately for me, she was naive enough. She goes, okay. And the rest, as they say, is history. Because a few years later, I did 3 million, then 4 million, 5 million, and my business just kept growing. And it really was 
this dramatic shift in my thought process, my mindset. Yes, there was some to-dos along the way, but mostly it was believing that I could do the same thing. It was kind of like that, you know, Roger Bannister moment where, you know, nobody had ever done the four minute mile or three minute mile. And it's just, it just takes one person. And when you see one person can do it, and that's how I try and be a mentor to a lot of people that if I could do it with my background, are you kidding? Of course you can do it. And that's what Paul was for me. I think, yes. And if nobody knows that Roger Bannister story, I mean, it's fascinating how, yes, he broke the, what, the four minute mile. And then right after it, several people did after, right? Because they learned it could be done. Now, I don't want to generalize, but of course, this is a podcast for women. And I know that there's statistics out there talking about how, you know, men will definitely apply for a job that they're not qualified for, but a woman will talk herself out of it if she's only 80% qualified or 85% qualified. And so with that, as you just mentioned, do you think that that is something that might be hampering some women in their business is the fact that it's just the mentality of I'm not thinking big enough as you learned in that meeting? I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. What I will say is I never looked at myself as a woman. So I didn't define myself or my abilities or my future. I was just a person, right? And I competed. I I worked in the high net worth market and I was always in a competitive situation. And 99.9% of the time, my competitors were men. And I looked at it as a, I, I had the advantage. I always took my femaleness, if I thought about it at all, which I typically did not, but I looked different from them. When I went into an off, into a meeting, into a prospect meeting, and I had a, you know, a business suit with a skirt on, I looked differently from those guys who had their navy blue suits on. But on the other hand, it wasn't my the clothes that I wore. It was what I said when I got in those meetings that won the day. Mm-hmm. And so I always encourage, I have a lot of female students that I mentor these days. And I'm like, I mean, forget the female male, just go do it. Right. I mean, it doesn't, it's irrelevant what sex you are in my humble opinion, right. uh, just go out there and be a professional and show your stuff as a professional and you'll win the day. Mm-hmm. Now you had mentioned how you come from a poverty background and here you are obtaining high net worth clients and uh, talk about how you were able to find these clients, work with these clients that might give some insight to others. Right. Well, there's a whole process that I developed over the years. It didn't come, you know, in 15 minutes, but what I was able to do is, you know, I take my students back in time and say, okay, when a prospect comes to see you, it's typically because they've had some kind of a triggering event in their life. Mm -hmm. Nobody just goes, oh, I'm going to go get a financial planner. Usually it's, I lost my job. I got a new job. My parents died. I have a grandchild. I mean, there's some triggering event that, that prompts people to come find a financial advisor. Well, in my case, it's like, which I always say, which one of us wants to actually wait for that actual triggering event to happen? I mean, it might be years before somebody's parent died, or it might be years before they have a grandchild. So in my meetings and what I teach my advisor students is I want to, I learned the art of creating a triggering event in their minds. So a lot of times I would meet with people because they were referred by somebody else. They would come in, not thinking maybe that they even needed a financial advisor. And I knew that walking in. And so what I was going to do by a series of questions, I call them disturbing tracks. 
I had 22 different lines of questioning I could go down that would cause them to create these triggering events in my their minds going, oh my gosh, I never really thought about that. And I need to get this taken care of. And a lot of times it was things that were missing in their financial planning thus far. And so things like, little things like I'd find out in a conversation that they had a lake house. And they would tell me that their lake house was in their own personal names. And I'd say, hmm, I find that interesting. And then I would provide a scenario. Okay, what if, you know, I assume you're at your lake house, you have a boat. Yeah, we have a great boat. And I said, well, what if somebody at your lake house gets hurt skiing on the back of your boat? You know, do you realize that you're not only going to be sued for the value of your lake house, but because it's in your personal name, you're going to be sued for everything else you own. Like, were you aware of that? And you should be like, no. I mean, why didn't anybody ever tell me, you know, tell me mm-hmm. that? And I'd be like, I don't know. But if we work together, we can, you know, we can get that fixed. So little things like that, there was 22 different places. And the nice thing about working with in the high net worth market is they typically have a lot of these little holes. They have these things going on where they think they're set. They think they're in great shape. And I can point out just with this line of questioning that maybe not so much. And what what it does is it, it forces them to realize they're vulnerable in some way. And nobody, especially a woman, no woman, no couple wants to feel like, oh my gosh, I've worked my whole life. I've amassed this net worth. And because I didn't dot my I's and cross my T's, I could be vulnerable. They don't like that. Mm-hmm. So I expose the vulnerabilities and I win the case. It sounds, I mean, it reminds me of chess, every move ahead of time before they're, they can give their answer. And again, it's not a manipulation. It's just like you said, you're exposing something they may not be aware of, but you know, your claim to fame is to be able to close a prospect in the first meeting. Okay. So here you are in the prep work. Like you said, when you meet people and you have this, this mapped out, these questions mapped out. So explain to people who were like, what the first meeting Talk a little bit about that and what it takes. I mean, we've talked about tenacity and grit earlier. Like, it just seems like there's a whole package here that people need to know about when it comes to you. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is what I do is not unique to me. And I know that because I've trained 860 advisors in the last three years to do exactly what I've done. And they're getting the same results. So this is not rocket science. It's like when you get in front of them, do this, do this, do this. And they'll say yes. Right. So I didn't realize it, Melissa, at the very beginning, I didn't realize I was unconsciously competent. But Mm -hmm. when I started teaching advisors, I had this guy who kind of followed me around and he wrote out the steps. He was like, okay, I see it. This is what you're doing. And so it starts though from the very moment that you encounter them. And we had a very specific greeting and seating system. For instance, you always seat the woman at the head of the table. If there's a husband and wife, you seat the woman at the head of the table. You seat the man on the side of the table when he's looking at you. There's nothing behind him to distract. There's so much psychology. Why do you sit here at the head of the table? Well, there's a lot of psychology around that. Okay, the next one is how do you get her? Because she's not going to gravitate toward the lead seat at the table. Well, I have a way to get her there to do that too. And, you know, because as, as a woman and any woman that's listening to this podcast, you and I both know we have a superpower, don't we? <laughs> and I call that superpower, especially if you're in a relationship, I call that superpower absolute veto power. Absolutely. So as a woman, and usually it doesn't matter if she's a high-powered executive or she is a stay-at-home wife, 
there's usually in a relationship, and it doesn't matter whether it's a male-female relationship or two males or two females, there's typically a division of labor. One manages the finances, one does something else, right? Mm -hmm. So it does. So what has to happen is both parties need to be engaged in that meeting because if you lose one of them, especially if it's the woman, she's going to activate her superpower. That's right. And I say she's got absolute <laughs> veto power if she feels ignored, marginalized. So I think one of the biggest mistakes our male competitors make is they leave her out of the conversation. They walk in, they go, hey, how about that Alabama-Tennessee game? Wasn't that amazing? And she like didn't even watch it, right? right. So already they're behind the power curve. You have to, if there's two people in the relationship, you have to engage them. The other thing you have to realize is that opposites attract. If there are two people in a relationship that are going to be affected by this planning, both of them must be present when you do your approach talk because they have, they have competing interests. One of them will likely be motivated by safety and security. The other one will be like, yabba dabba do, how many, what's the biggest returns I can get, right? Mm -hmm. So not knowing this at the beginning, if you if one of them shows up without the other, I just cancel the meeting because my approach works best when I can appeal to both of their competing interests. And again, there's so much psychology that goes into this, but once you learn it, then it's just step one, two, three. It's very simple, very easy. And the other thing I tell my advisor students is this, that you only have to get one high net worth client. And I show them how to go get that one because birds of a feather fly right. together. So a high net worth person, they typically will vacation a certain way and they know other people who vacation with them. They go out to nice dinners at certain places and they order high dollar wine bottles, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the people they hang out with. So their natural market to refer to you is somebody that looks just like them. So people think, oh, I got to go here or there. No, you just have to get one. And this, then they start referring their friends. Aaron, you've mentioned several times about your training. So let's talk about what you're doing now because you did sell your business and now you dedicate your time to training other advisors, correct? I do. So what I did was even before I sold my company, I, I had kind of worked myself out of a job on purpose. <laughs> Again, Paul was my mentor and he's like, in order, I also wanted to make sure that, my, that I got the highest price for my company. And I knew that if the company depended on me to show up every day or meet with every client, it would have very little value in the marketplace. So I was very intentional. I teach my students how to be very intentional about sort of working themselves out of a job so that they can get the highest multiple when they're ready to sell. So what happened was when I worked myself out of a job by 2015, I literally had very no role in my company so I started actually inviting advisors to come to my office. I had a program called Spend the Day. And it was like, you know what? I've learned a few things. I would love to give back to the industry that's allowed me to become successful. And I had between 15 and 20 advisors every quarter for a couple of years just come to my office and have an experience like I had that one day with Paul. And then I realized after two years of this, I realized essentially they all had the same issues they all had the same questions. So I took the time and effort two years to create an online program that could be accessed 24-7 for advisors. And now, so I've been going three years, I've trained right at 860 advisors 
on how to know, you know, from soup to nuts, every single thing that I did or I touched or I said in my business to go from zero to Barron's top 100. And so I do this, I had two purposes. One, I give back to the industry that allowed me the most unlikely candidate to be successful in the world. And then I take 50% of the profits. My husband and I support 500 children in the country of Zambia. And so we take 50% of the profits to support orphans. And I tell people, you know, there's, I support 500 children. There's another 1.7 million orphans just in the country of Zambia alone. And I do try and inspire advisors as part of their overall processes to find something or some cause that you care about, become uber successful because there's a lot of people out there who could use your help. So it's mm-hmm. as much trying to inspire them to be all they can be um, as much. And they can do that. Revenue solves all problems. And so I try and get them the quickest time possible. My course is six months. And in six months, they can completely transform their businesses. They can make a ton of money, take a lot more time off, and then take care of the people or causes they care about. I just wrote down revenue solves all problems. That's the truth. Aaron. As we close out, you, like you said, you're dedicated to helping others. And one of the other ways that you were helping those who are listening to this podcast is by a book, your book. So Mm -hmm. talk about it and, and who gets it. Sure. I give my book away for free. It's called seven figure firm, how to build a financial services business that grows itself. And all you have to do is go to my website, erinbotsford.com. And you'll scroll around, it'll just say free book and you can download it, it'll be in your inbox. You can also find out more about my programs. I do a lot of free webinars and free trainings. Again, I'm all about giving back. And so if I can be of service, they can always contact me too, Aaron at AaronBosford.com. And I'm just always willing to help anybody in this business that wants to get ahead. And and Botsford spelled B-O-T-S-F-O-R-D for those who want to check out the website and reach out to you, Aaron. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much for the time. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks for mentioning the Tennessee-Alabama game because at this taping, it was <laughs> a fantastic was win. <laughs> All right, Erin, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Invest in Women, the podcast series. Your insight into the growing wealth of women and how to attract and retain your female clients and help scale your practice. Learn more by subscribing to this podcast or visiting fa-mag.com.